Denne podcast er på engelsk. As we navigate the post-COVID landscape, the fascination with its impact withstands. We are still curious about how actions like lockdowns and vaccinations unfolded, shaping the aftermath of this global health phenomenon. Today we are joined by Dr. José Manuel Aburto and Associate Professor Silvia Rizzi from the University of Southern Denmark. They will help us understand the new results and the most important conclusions from their recent study. Welcome to the Rockwell Foundation podcast. My name is Thomas Smith-Jorgensen. Welcome to you, Dr. José Manuel Aburto. Thank you. And welcome to you, Silvia Rizzi. Thank you. Silvia, why is it still relevant or important to look back and talk about COVID-19? Well, uh, now that uh, COVID-19 does not represent an emergency anymore, and after years of research on the field on the impact of COVID-19 on overall mortality, we must not forget what we have learned. And the lesson learned, especially during the the peak of the pandemic, will uh, hopefully help us uh, for future health shocks to uh, manage them better or to prevent them in in a way. Um, And we also know now how to analyze them better. Mm Um, And it is still relevant to talk about COVID-19 now because after almost four years from the first outbreak, we can start observing the medium and the long-term impacts of the pandemic. This new study is about excess deaths and life expectancy. Before we go more in-depth with the study's findings, I would like to operationalize the terms excess death and life expectancy. What does excess death mean and how does it reflect the broader impact of the pandemic, Sylvia? Um, Excess uh, death is a quite straightforward uh, measure. It it defines the numbers of death above what is expected under some normal condition in a given time and in a given place. So in in Denmark in 2020, for instance, or it can be even broken down by week or by month. Uh, And it is a comprehensive measure that quantifies the impact of uh, crisis. So it is used uh, for pandemics, for natural disasters and other um, shocks on mortality. And Jose, what about life expectancy? Life expectancy is one of the key indicators of social progress, population health and longevity. As Sylvia mentioned, we need indicators that are comparable across countries and over time. So life expectancy as an indicator provides a photograph of the mortality pattern in a population in a given year. And it's also comparable. So that means that we can provide a comprehensive view of how the pandemic impacted mortality trends. We might be interested in, for example, how Denmark differentiates from an African country in terms of how COVID-19 hit uh, mortality patterns. Right. What does the study help unfold regarding the pandemic, Silvia? First, uh, what we understood is how to best measure the burden of the COVID-19 pandemic on mortality. So exactly what the measures that we were talking about, life expectancy and excess death, um, were... um, consolidated as the best measure to uh, quantify the impact of the COVID-19 on mortality. So first uh, first of all, the study had a methodological contribution. 
the second objective of the study, how um, Jose was mentioning, was to understand how different was the impact of the COVID-19 um, on mortality levels across countries and also then dividing the population in subpopulations to understand which uh, of the subgroups of the population were most affected. Right. Uh, this um, is a relevant demographic contribution that has impacts, societal impacts, hmm? okay. and from which we can learn. So it is something that that's why we are still talking about COVID because yeah. we don't have, we cannot forget how uh, the uh, groups of the population were affected. Right, and we're going to get back to that. Based on the study's findings, how exceptional was the pandemic's impact on life expectancy, especially in comparison to historical events, Jose? Yes, the, the impact of the pandemic on life expectancy worldwide is unprecedented in recent history. If you wanted to compare with historical shocks, we would need to go back to the 1918 flu or World Wars, right. where we saw countries, especially high-income countries, experiencing losses in life expectancy in excess of two years. So to put this into perspective, in the first year of the pandemic, the U.S., lost in excess of two years of life expectancy. Then by 2021, we saw that many Eastern and Central European countries also lost in excess of two or three years of life expectancy. So in an international perspective, the impact of the pandemic has really been unprecedented in the recent history, with some exceptions. There were countries that were not hit as hard by the pandemic, including Denmark, for right. example, mm -hmm. Australia, Norway. But then we have other high-income countries All countries like the U.S., England and Wales, Spain, Italy, where the pandemic was the what hit very strongly, and in fact, these countries at some point were also the epicenters of the pandemic. Okay. What were the crucial factors that made a difference in saving lives during the pandemic, Jose? Well, it was a combination of public health interventions. So initially, when the vaccine was not yet developed, non-pharmaceutical interventions were key. That means lockdowns. Mm -hmm. That means having uh, better behaviors towards our own health, for example, washing hands and using face masks. And once the vaccine was developed, then it was really the availability of the vaccine that made a difference. So we can see consistently that those countries with vaccination was uh, very rapidly provided. Those countries were the ones that either went back to previous levels of the pandemic faster or were not affected at all. Okay. And it is also important that the population follow these guidelines from the government. And uh, that was also one of the success of Denmark, compliance with non-pharmaceutical interventions and the vaccinations. So what you're saying is that it's important that there's a will to actually follow the things that the government says. Exactly. Right. Compliance and trust. How does mortality change during a shock like uh, COVID-19? And what are the effects from a demographic standpoint, both within subgroups and on the overall population? What were the observed differences, Jose? Well, the COVID-19 pandemic was very particular compared to other and previous epidemics. If we look at, for example, how epidemics of tuberculosis affect the populations, these epidemics mostly affect children, young women, and, and in general, younger people. The COVID-19 pandemic, in contrast, was affecting older people. So it was particularly the population above age 60, 70, that was hardly hit by the pandemic. But then this changed 
over the course of the pandemic. Then, as the pandemic unfolded and it lasted lasted for more than two years, we saw in many countries, including Bulgaria, for example, or the U.S., where may, many working-age individuals were also dying as a consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic, either directly because of the virus or indirectly because many people were not able to follow non-pharmaceutical interventions for longer periods. So this has brought a change in, in, the, in the demographics of a country. Uh, at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, poorer groups, people pertaining to lower socioeconomic status, were hit even more. So we saw higher levels of mortality, especially at younger ages, compared to the richer groups. So this is how a shock like the COVID-19 pandemic can affect mortality trends that were not seen at least in the previous decades. And is there an explanation as to why the poorer parts of people uh, were more severely hit? Yes. Well, there's many reasons why this might have happened. One is that uh, people that pertain to these socioeconomic groups, they don't have enough resources, for example, to follow non-pharmaceutical interventions. Uh, people couldn't afford to just stay at home for long periods. Uh, on the other hand, they also have low or fewer resources, uh, also potentially already pre-existing uh, health uh, conditions, health conditions right. that are not attributed in, in higher socioeconomic groups. And I would say also in many countries is access to healthcare services. So many countries do not have the privilege that we have in countries like Denmark. So if we look at the US, for example, many people don't have access to healthcare. And this, of course, affects mostly poorer people. What measures, we're going to look into Denmark in a minute here, but but what measures were adopted globally and how did they influence mortality rates, Sylvia? The two key strategies adopted were non-pharmaceutical interventions, as we mentioned, such as restriction in circulation, social interaction, quarantines, uh, in the first phase of the pandemic, and then the vaccination campaign later on. Um, and the study shows that in the first uh, uh, pandemic year, the countries with measured and timely, well-enforced uh, lockdowns had the lowest excess uh, death. And uh, later uh, in 2021, um, when vaccine was available, the countries that applied the wide vaccine campaign campaign uh, showed the the lowest excess death. So, in other words, it worked. Yes. If you compare to other countries, was Denmark affected severely by COVID, Jose? Well, the short answer is no. So if we compare, for example, how life expectancy changed in Denmark, there were minor changes. Some would argue even that life expectancy did not change. It did fall below the projection. So there were no improvements, mm. but there were no massive losses. Massive losses, for example, in like I said, in Eastern Europe, over the first two years can accumulate almost three, four years of of life expectancy losses. And if we go to low and middle income countries, we can see losses in life expectancy in excess of five, six years. So in that context, I would argue that yeah, Denmark was not affected severely by the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. Why do you think that Denmark experienced the lower excess death and, and life expectancy losses compared to other countries? What, what do you think that was? Yeah. That's an in, an interesting question. Um, it's very difficult to untangle the, mechani- the mechanisms through which uh, the pandemic unfolded and how it affected population. But I, I would argue that uh, some of the reasons of the success of Denmark in controlling the pandemic consequences was a strong healthcare system, 
the fact that the population have access to it, uh, trust in, in non-pharmaceutical interventions. I remember during the first wave, we just received a message in our phone that said, you have to stay at home. And everyone yeah. followed. Right. There was no, uh, no crisis like we saw in other countries. In London, you remember, there were queues of people really panicking. Yeah. Uh, so... So we complied with what was told to us. Yes, but but we complied also because we could afford to do it. No, so Denmark has also higher levels of equality socioeconomically compared to other countries. Like I said, access and a strong healthcare system, and also higher salaries compared to many other countries. So I would argue those are some of the main reasons on why the pandemic did not affect so strongly Denmark. Sylvia, if we look to our neighbor country here, uh, Sweden, which in many ways we would say um, resembles Denmark, mm-hmm. what was the situation here? Um, well, um, on week 11 of 2020, Denmark mandated the first official restrictions and uh, Sweden did not. And as you said, uh, Denmark and Sweden are ideal for comparing the impacts of these alternatives uh, um, policies. They are two neighboring uh, countries that keep an eye on each other. Absolutely. um, uh, We share with Sweden um, the same similar language, uh, culture. So it is a good comparison. And uh, in uh, week 11, 2020, there were there was this difference in uh, policies. And, uh, well, our research highlighted that uh, during the first COVID wave, so from March until the end of the summer, um, the observed death in, in Sweden were around 20% higher Uh, than what was expected in that period. Um, Differently, in Denmark, uh, um, the expected death were only 3% higher. So there was a significant difference in the number of death, of excess death um, for the first COVID wave. Is that a clear conclusion? It is a clear conclusion. It was proven to be statistically significant. And um, especially if we break down uh, the measure of excess death by age and sex, what we found is that uh, Denmark did very well in protecting the elderly. So the frail individuals, um, because of how the nursing homes are organized and how the restrictions protected those um Individuals, especially uh, women uh, above the age of 85, um, we can see a clear conclusion. And can we conclude that that we did the right thing here in Denmark and Sweden did the wrong thing, or is that too much to um, to point out? Um, well, we have um, also uh, a study where uh, we look uh, exactly at the causal impact uh, of the lockdown on uh, the mortality. Um, so we use uh, uh, more rigorous uh, methods um, to really imply this causal link. And also research there showed that Denmark did better in terms of, you know, saving lives. What we uh, look at is mortality trends, mortality level. We didn't investigate then economic consequences, but what we are can be sure to say is that on mortality levels to protect um, the population, Denmark did better. How did Denmark's policy interventions contribute to this unique scenario, you think? What was it that worked? 
compared to other countries, um, the non-pharmaceutical interventions were uh, timely. In Italy, um, the lockdowns were even more severe than in Denmark, but they didn't work as well. One of the key points is that in Denmark, the lockdowns were um, adopted in a timely matter. Uh, this can be seen for Denmark as a whole country in uh, during the first COVID wave, but also when um, the virus uh, among the mink population started to spread in North Jutland. Mm-hmm. Um, there also some municipalities underwent a very short but timely lockdown that made the virus spread less. So Sylvia, what did the study reveal about how effective lockdowns were in reducing excess death based on examples of Sweden and selected municipalities in Denmark? For Sweden, um, we estimated that the causal impact of not implementing a lockdown um, avoided would have avoided 10% of the death. And um, regarding the lockdown in North uh, Jutland, um, we found reductions of uh, daily infections numbers ranging between 19 to 43 uh, percent in the target municipality, uh, thanks to this uh, uh, rapid and short uh, um, lockdown. In the study in uh, North Jutland, it was not possible to uh, measure excess death because the number of deaths were too few. Mm-hmm. So it was the only study where we looked at the daily infection numbers. Were some of the results of your analysis here surprising to you, Jose? Not really. I think I think that the that the adoption of policies in Denmark versus the non-adoption basically of policy interventions from a public health perspective in Sweden since the beginning was deemed to fail. This was the discourse in the news. This was the discourse also in academic medical journals. So it's not surprising to me that the that Denmark performed better in the first year of the pandemic compared to Sweden. What is also outstanding is what happened in the second year of the pandemic, where Sweden took a different path and their vaccination rollout was super fast. So by the second year of the pandemic, life expectancy went back to levels before the pandemic. Right, okay. So so they in my view they did wrong and then they thought again their their approach to the pandemic. So these these differences that we observed in excess deaths between Denmark and Sweden were not surprising. What probably was surprising was the magnitude of the difference. Because even if we compare Sweden to other high income countries, Sweden still performed better than many, even if they experienced losses in life expectancy. But when you compare it with Nordic countries, then there were massive differences. Finally here to the both of you, what can we learn from the key takeaways from your study? How can these findings inform, help or shape future strategies for managing pandemics or other health crises? Silvia? I think we did a lot of research on the methods of how to best quantify the burden uh, of mortality. So that is uh, a lesson that we should not forget. Uh, A lot of advance has been done in methodological contribution. 
We also have some evidence on the effects of the policy intervention on mortality. And also uh, for f- in the future, um, we know uh, which of the uh, subpopulation we should protect more to avoid uh, inequality in health um, given uh, by these shocks. It is also important not to forget about COVID because we can learn about how to integrate the research from different fields. So we would also like to balance our saving lives with the losses in the economy, with some uh, more um, impacts on the individual. I I think about uh, um, not attendance of uh, schools um, for children. And uh, so I think that is also why it is is necessary to keep the dialogue open, to, to merge all these dimensions, that during the shock they were going a bit in different directions, but to have like a pool um, conversation. Jose, uh, what should we learn from the from future pandemics? Well, definitely preparedness and the timely enactment of public health interventions was one of the key lessons. Nevertheless, I don't think we are still in a position to claim victory. The pandemic beyond affecting mortality trends, as Silvia said, it also affected the social structure. In many countries, inequalities were exacerbated, and we don't know what's going to be the medium and long-term consequences of these inequalities. At the same time, there's more evidence coming out about the impacts of long COVID, for example. Mm-hmm. So we might see the consequences not in the next five, ten years, but maybe when younger individuals now become older. So there's definitely scope to continue studying the consequences of the pandemic, maybe more from a social perspective, but one that also includes health outcomes. Because like I said, beyond mortality, our health was affected in many ways and also indirectly. We can call these invisible scars of the pandemic. So for example, public health interventions like non-pharmaceutical ones, not only not affected affected COVID-19 deaths, they affected other causes of that too. For example, if we were in lockdowns, we would expect that accidents could go down. But at the same time, we were expecting mental health issues to arise because of loneliness. Mm. In many countries, hospitals were overwhelmed. So many people, especially those suffering acute cardiovascular events, did not go to hospitals, either because they were overwhelmed or because people were also afraid of contracting the virus if they went to the hospitals. So this can potentially increase cardiovascular disease in the next years. Similarly, people that had cancers at later stages, they did not get treatments. So we could expect in those cases an increase in mortality in the next in the next months, in the next years. At the same time, this uh, the fact that hospitals and medical doctors were overwhelmed also had an impact on screening timely other diseases, including neoplasms. So what's going to be the effect of this, for example, it remains to be seen. So even though I think we can conclude that there were many lessons learned from this, I don't think we're still in a point where we can say, okay, the consequences have completely vanished now. And how far into the future do you think we have to go before we have the kind of the final picture here or the whole the whole picture about the, about this pandemic? I think that's the million dollar question. And I think it varies by country too and by population. And 
it, it's really an interesting question. For example, uh, on population projection, should we revise all our population projections, our life expectancy forecast? Because all of this is important for policymaking. So definitely, we still need to be concerned, maybe not as concerned as we were when, when we saw all the spikes of mortality. Uh, but the question of for how long, I don't know. Thank you very much for the both of you. Thank you, thank you, thank Thomas, you. for the invitation. Thank you, Dr. Jose Manuel Aburto and Silvia Rizzi. You can read more about the Rockwell Foundation's research on excess deaths and life years lost due to the COVID-19 pandemic in Denmark on the Foundation's website. Here you can also sign up to receive news about new analysis and podcasts. In the Rockwell Foundation podcasts, I talk to researchers and decision makers about new knowledge and analysis in the field of welfare. A new podcast is published every three weeks. Find them wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast was produced by me, Thomas Smith-Jorgensen and Nikolai Winden. Thank you very much for listening.